the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. For those who have loved ones currently in the hospital, who have perhaps lost a loved one, it raises many of the why God questions. Why does God allow things to happen like this? And when we're in these kinds of times, whether we're talking about the tragedy of what unfolded yesterday in Boston, to the loss of a child, to maybe just the day-to-day challenges that we face in life, oftentimes we we feel as if we're kind of groping about, and we're we're wondering in the middle of the darkness of our experience, how do we find God? Coincidentally, a new title of a book called called Finding God in the Dark, and it's co-written by my next guest, Ted Gluck. Ted, of course, has been on the program previously. We talked to him uh, some months ago regarding his best-selling book, Dallas and the Spitfire. Back again to join us today, and Ted, is always great to have you on the show. Hey, Craig, thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Boy, the timing of our conversation today in the wake of the tragedy of Boston yesterday, again, it just touches on so many levels emotionally and and spiritually. Kind of give me your overall sense, um, particularly in the spirit in which uh, you wrote this book along with Ronnie Martin. Um, We're in these moments, be it the tragedy of yesterday to simply maybe losing a job, losing a loved one. We grapple with the sense of where God, why God? Yeah, we really do. I mean, you you hit the nail on the head. These are these are existential questions. You know, these are questions that that strike to the core of our existence, and um, they really strike to the core of how it is that we think about God. And um, you know, as as I prepared for the show tonight, I, I knew you were going to ask me about this, and I was I was talking it over and, and praying about it with my wife, and I was reminded of the verse in First Thessalonians that says you know, as Christians, we don't grieve like those who have no hope. And, you know, but we still grieve, you know, and, and whether you're intimately involved in a situation like this, or, or whether you're just kind of observing it from the outside, I mean, you're grieved. And I'm reminded of the, the doctrine of total human depravity, you know, the idea that, that we're all sinners in this world with sick hearts, and that there's no hope for us, and there's there's nothing good apart from Christ. And I think, you know, what what you take from this events. I mean, you watch the media and you hear things like, you know, we're going to do everything we can. And, you know, there's all kinds of kind of governmental slash military finagling going on. And, and on one hand, you, you root for that and you're, you're hopeful that something will be done. But, you know, as Christians, we know that um, apart from the cross and apart from Christ, you know, there's really, there's not a good answer. You know, there's not a great hopeful thing that, that Obama or anyone else can say to people to really make them feel better. So, you know, I think for us, maybe the takeaway is an opportunity to, to recognize the sin in our own hearts. And, you know, much of my book deals with that, you know, this idea that, you know, it wasn't until I really humbled myself and threw myself at the foot of the cross that I had any joy and any peace in this life. And I think we were reminded that we don't find our joy and peace in circumstances or situations. You know, it, it isn't God's job to, to make everything perfect for us. Um, uh, but he does find us, he does seek us out, and he does give us the opportunity to, to humble ourselves and, and find joy and peace in him. You know, what you say, I know, 
even with my listeners eavesdropping on this conversation right now, we, we, we resonate with what you say. We, we certainly readily give a mental assent to your observations. And yet oftentimes, isn't there that disconnect that we experience, meaning that we understand, for example, if we want to just kind of uh, coldly in a very calculated manner dissect what transpired yesterday, it is, you know, man's depravity, it is separation of God, from God by, by sin, it is our inclination to do wrong and evil and the influence of the enemy in our lives. We understand all of that, and we can certainly, in many ways, kind of pigeonhole or categorize the pain of yesterday into those categories. We give complete, total mental assent to those realities. And yet there's this disconnect where emotionally, though, we're still saying, but wait a minute, God. I mean, aren't you supposed to come in and kind of, you know, save the day? Uh, We look at this and say, well, you know, of all the people that died yesterday, uh, three all told, why did one of them have to be an eight-year-old boy? And suddenly now we're kind of emotionally uh, and spiritually wrestling with God over these things. Yeah, we are, you know, and I, I, I fully agree. And I think, you know, for those of us who, who grew up Christian or grew up in evangelical homes like I did, I mean, I think I, I spent a lot of years just intellectually assenting to things and not really feeling or experiencing them. And there's this, this strange tension in the Church where, you know, you're, you're clinging to truth, and you have biblical truth, but yet you, you still want to experience things. You want to feel comforted. And, you know, for me, uh, I think the Bible is full of, of, of examples of people who, you know, cling to, cling to Christ and cling to, cling to God in the midst of really horrible things that are happening to them. And on one level, you, you, you don't really maybe find comfort in their stories, but I, I find comfort in the idea that there's a model for how we can cling to the Lord in those times, how we can cry out to the Lord, how, you know, King David, who you know, the Bible says was a man after God's own heart, but, but was also this horrible sinner. You know, he was a, an adulterer and a murderer, and he has the audacity and the, and the courage, really, to ask God for a clean heart. And then he asked God to restore his joy. And this is, you know, when people are pursuing him and, and chasing after him to take his life, you know, he even, he even clings to, to the Lord for joy in that. And, you know, as to how that comforts you know, someone who's who's grappling with the reality of yesterday. I don't know, but I'm but I'm glad it's there, and I'm glad, you know, the Bible gives us a, a model for how we're to do that. And I've I've found, I mean, my experience has been um, that there's really been no earthly comfort outside of that. And you know, sometimes we can't explain these things away. We can't, um, you know, God doesn't let us know immediately why it's happening. Um, but but that feeling of joy and peace, even in the midst of uh, of life's terrible storms. I mean, that's something that uh, experientially we can we can look to the Lord and just say thank you. There's and, one thing though that tends to kind of complicate this. And after a brief time out, I want to kind of dig deeper. We we spoke of the the mental ascent to what we understand to be true from God's perspective, from God's word. Then there's kind of the emotional struggles that we go uh, go into where we we understand intellectually what's going on, and yet emotionally still there's that sense of disillusionment and fear and doubt and unbelief. The third aspect that kind of complicates this scenario is the big cover-up, and we'll talk about that when we come back after a brief time out. Best-selling author Ted Kluck is with us today, a look at Finding God in the Dark. I'm Craig Roberts, back with more of the conversation as Lifeline continues. 
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We continue our visit with best-selling author Ted Kluck. He, along with co-author Ronnie Martin, have written a new book called Finding God in the Dark. Now, we talked a bit about that sense of giving mental assent to what we know are the realities of what's going on in these kind of circumstances, Ted, and yet oftentimes um, being just overwhelmed by emotional senses of, of doubt and fear and disillusionment. But then there's kind of the other third item that I think tends to complicate this, and you talk about it in the book. It's something that we evangelicals in particular seem to be very adept at, and that is um, kind of faking our way through pain. You know, painting on the smile and and getting past the greeter at the door at church on Sunday or, you know, uh, giving the obligatory, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? When, in fact, we're really not. And I'm wondering if sometimes that sets up a barrier that really blocks us from the ability to deal with how we're feeling and kind of find the sort of uh, peace and relief that we seek. Yeah, I think it absolutely does. And I think, you know, I wrote about it in the book. I was absolutely guilty of that for so many years. You know, the issues were different for me in that, you know, our our hard times, our dark places, if you will, were infertility, um, a failed adoption, um, some vocation-related failures that I was experiencing. And instead of, you know, being humbled and clinging to the cross in those things, for a lot of years I just got more bitter, you know, more bitter, more cynical, um, but week after week, day after day, you know, Sunday after Sunday, I would go into church and, and, you know, I was, I was everybody's buddy and, and the back slapping lobby guy with a smile for everybody. But inside I was really dying, you know, and I was really struggling with, you know, how do I love a God who, uh, would put me through this quite frankly was, was my thought process. And, um, it was really tough, you know, and, and thankfully the, the same institution that was hard for me in that, the church. Um, it was tough to go to church, and it was tough to see everybody else, I thought, prospering, you know, while I was kind of circling the drain, I thought. But um, it was that same institution that ended up being, you know, such a help and such a comfort for me as the Holy Spirit uh, pursued me out of that. I guess the irony is that a lot of us are often going through this, whether it's the way in which a whole community suffers, such as in the wake of the Boston bombing, or individual families. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job. As you point out in your case, it was an adoption that right on the cusp of, of everything coming together, um, your uh, your little Ukrainian daughter, who, who was literally the, the, the sister of, of one of your adopted boys, uh, mm-hmm. another couple stepped in and the law did what it did uh, thousands of miles away, and that whole adoption process fell apart. That created a great deal of pain in your life, and I guess maybe the issue oftentimes here is when we're going through pain or fear or doubt or disillusionment, uh, we want to keep up a happy face. You know, nobody typically posts on Facebook what a terrible day that they're having or what an awful meal that they had. They we all tend to kind of want to be uh, happy and, and, and sort of, you know, put on the dog, so to speak, and yet behind that mask oftentimes lurks an awful lot of pain. Yeah, that's so right, man. I, I think oftentimes we're our own best press agents. And, you know, from being in Christian media and Christian entertainment, as I am, you know, there, there is this often kind of creepy, you know, motivation to self-promote. And um, I, find, I found myself doing a ton of that, you know. Uh, again, on Facebook, my Facebook persona was, you know, I was this happy, successful guy with a great family and, um, you know, all kinds of success and all kinds of exciting things happening. But, you know, for anybody who knew me then or, or anybody who was close to me then, you know, the opposite was really true. And um, it wasn't until, 
you know, I heard some convicting preaching. Um, it wasn't until I, you know, I went to some friends of mine in the church, uh, a pastor and an elder, and just said, look, I'm, I'm struggling here. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm really dying here. I'm really bitter, and uh, I need your help, you know. Um, thank God, you know, for me that the Holy Spirit pursued me in that way and, uh, and, and kind of led me to do that, because I think even though the circumstances really haven't changed, you know, this book isn't one of those stories where, you know, we pray a couple of times and then we get rich and have a bunch of kids and everything starts going right for us. You know, the, the circumstances are the same, essentially, um, but, but Christ has given me a lot of joy and a lot of peace in the midst of that. So I'm thankful. What's the big takeaway? Um, as both you and Ronnie have shared a lot of personal pain in this book, what are you hoping to be the big takeaway for readers and for our listeners tonight? Yeah, you know what? I think a couple of things. Number one, we can feel so alone in our churches um, when we do struggle and when we are in dark places. And uh, Ronnie and I hope that this book would kind of be the, the friend that we don't have in churches, you know, the, the person who's willing to be honest about their own struggles and their own sins and their own you know, dark places. So hopefully it'll be a comfort to people on that level. But um, I think the other takeaway really is just a, a simple presentation of the gospel. You know, that if we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord and we acknowledge our sinful hearts and our brokenness, that He'll lift us up, you know, and He'll, um, he'll redeem us and He'll give us peace and He'll give us, you know, the, the clean hearts and the, and the joy of our salvation that David talks about in Psalm 51. And, you know, I think in, in different ways and in different struggles, um, Ronnie and I have both uh, experienced that, and we wanted to, you know, to write the book as a really an outpouring of thanks to uh, to a Lord who would who would do that for us. You know, a couple of really sinful, screwed up guys. We have a lot of observers right now who they themselves are asking questions, who do not currently have a relationship with the Lord, and I know it's easy sometimes to come up with pat answers. But from a sincere standpoint, as, as maybe people out there who are not believers are seeking answers and, and asking the why God questions as well, what, what do you tell these people in, in terms of how they can find God in the dark? I think keep asking and keep seeking, and, um, you know, the, the Holy Spirit will find you. You know, I, I think, you know, we serve a Lord who, who finds us and who pursues us and who loves us enough to, you know, to to. to come after us at times. And, you know, I think if, if people are asking questions, that's a great sign. You know, I don't think you, I don't think you get anywhere in this life without asking the hard questions. And, you know, again, you know, there's this, there's this weird tension in the church where you're just so, sometimes you feel like you're supposed to smile and show up and um, everything will be great for you. But, you know, it really wasn't until Ronnie and I started, ask, started asking those hard questions that, um, that we got any peace. And um, so I would say keep asking. I would say, you know, search for truth. I mean, I think we're, we live in a culture where um, it's very cool and it's very sexy to, to be journeying and never arrive anywhere. Um, it's cool to be a seeker, but not a, a, a pursuer of truth. But I would say, you know, seek hard after truth in Scripture and, uh, and see how the Lord reveals himself to you. A look at finding God in the dark. Ted Cluck, along with Ronnie Martin, the authors of this new book. And the book, by the way, is recently published by... i got to get my cheaters on here. Boy, reaching that age, are you, Roberts? Bethany House Publishers. And you can find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area. You can also get it through Ted's website at tedcluck, K-L-U-C-K, dot com. And our thanks again to Ted Cluck for visiting with us in this segment of Lifeline. 
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. The Apostle Paul reminds us that we are to be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within. Certainly makes sense from a perspective of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, after all, um, if we're in this love relationship with the Lord and he has redeemed us, as we share that good news with others, don't we want to be, uh, don't we want to be articulate about um, what he's done in our life? and how we can change somebody else's life too. While certainly that's the desire, I think a lot of people when it comes to the matter of of sharing their faith or evangelism get nervous. They get nervous because oftentimes we are afraid that somebody is going to ask us a question that we can't give an answer for. Oftentimes this goes to the heart of the question as to whether or not we are ready to give that answer for the hope that lies within. Brand new book out that uh, helps give some insight to some of the bigger questions and uh, appropriate answers to same. Written by Mark Middleberg. The book is called The Questions Christians Hope No One Will Ask. And Mark, great to have you on the show tonight. Great to be with you. I have to wonder, we look at some of these questions here, you know, what makes you sure that God exists? How can we trust the Bible? Uh, Wasn't Jesus just a good uh, man and teacher? Uh, Are are very common questions, to be sure. And one would think questions that at the base every Christian would feel comfortable in answering. But obviously, a book like yours suggests that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, you know, in a perfect world, I guess we should. But the the real truth is a lot of us uh, grew up with, Christian faith. Our parents taught us as we were young, which is great, but when you're raised kind of on VBS and Sunday school and this is, you know, being taught that this is true your whole life, and, and if you're mostly around Christians, then later when someone really looks you in the eye and says, yeah, but how do you know? And, you know, you believe the Bible, it's full of contradictions, it's based on myths, it's, you know, how can you accept that? Well, a lot of us quite naturally feel intimidated by that because we just haven't prepared ourselves for that. So that's really the spirit of this book is to say, these are the questions we're afraid of. This is based on a national survey we did about a year and a half ago that summer. We asked a thousand Christians, you know, what are the issues that you hope will not come up when you're in a conversation with a non-Christian? And these are the top 10 questions that came up. So let's get ready because If we feel ready, then we're much more willing to get into those conversations and much more likely to be used by God. Now, for many years, you served as evangelism director at Willow Creek Community Church there in Chicago. Um, As you spoke with folks that were coming through your program, uh, did there seem to be a commonality um, over intimidation by some of these questions? And I'm wondering how much of that might have gone to, as you suggest, maybe a sense of Christian isolationism where we really don't know the answer to these questions because we've never been asked them. Uh, And then to maybe to a level of just simple biblical illiteracy where a lot of folks are just not that familiar with Scripture enough to feel comfortable in 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 speaking to some of these questions yeah i i think that's very true i think uh again i think sometimes as churches we're a lot better at teaching especially young people teaching them what to believe but not why it's true and so a lot of young people grow up learning the creeds learning bible verses uh, being able to kind of parrot back the right answers but again i think in the training, and I'm a real advocate even in Sunday school classes, where we say, okay, let's let's role play here a little. I used to do this when I was a high school Sunday school teacher. I'd say, for the next half hour, I'm going to be a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon, or I'm going to be a strong, you know, kind of atheistic evolutionist, and I'm going to challenge your ideas. 
and, and at first it freaked the kids out, but then they, they really took to it because they, they realized, well, wait a minute, we have answers to these things. And so I think we just need to really force ourselves to think more and get more ready because truth is on our side. We, we don't have to be afraid of these things, but we do, as, as the verse you quoted, First uh, Peter 3.15, we do need to get prepared. There's a couple of issues here at hand, too, I think. Uh, I remember a number of years ago, Norman Geisler was on the program, and we spent some time talking about what at the time was an increase in, in how should I phrase this, a, a debate, really, over whether or not it was necessary as a Christian to believe in a, a literal bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ or whether or not that could have been simply a figurative event. And it was amazing to me the number of people that called into our program that night that felt as if, you know, whether or not it was a literal resurrection or a figurative one really didn't matter if at the core, you know, you kind of got the message. And, and it, it was a, a, a very big eye-opener for me in understanding that there oftentimes is a gulf of ignorance uh, between what we believe and even going down to the core of why we believe it. Do you think that's true? I think it's very true, and I've been in Bible studies with all church people, evangelicals, who didn't believe in the Trinity or who thought they believed in it but would articulate it in a, in a way that was actually cultic. And so, again, I, my my mission is not to shame all these people. My mission is to say we just need to do a little more preparation. Uh, let's be honest, we need to do a lot more preparation. And this, Mark, I, I should hasten to add, is not just simply for the sake of more effective outreach and evangelism, but ultimately for deepening of our own walk with Jesus Christ. I mean, it, it would seem to me um, it would be important for every believer to know why they are sure that God exists. Absolutely. I, I think all of these questions first speak to our own confidence and clarity as Christians, especially, again, young people who are going to go away you know, go away to the university or college and have their faith challenged. And so we've got to equip them in particular, but really all of us. And then the second half is then we're going to be much more able to boldly and confidently and clearly articulate the message and explain to our non-Christian friends how they can know that it's true as well. So very much a double-edged sword cutting both ways, both in terms of being able to deepen our own faith walk and understanding and relationship with Jesus Christ, and then secondarily, once having been equipped with that information, being more effective toward giving that, uh, well, as we said earlier, that answer for the hope that lies within. Our conversation today with Mark Middleberg, a look at the questions Christians hope no one will ask. We'll come to some of those questions as our conversation continues right here on KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Mark Middleberg, my guest tonight. He is a former evangelism director of Willow Creek Community Church. His new book, The Questions Christians Hope No One Will Ask. As you engaged in this survey, Mark, and I think all of these questions that you outline and detailed answers inside the pages of your new book are all vital ones. Which one would you say, though, that tended to come up the most? Well, and by the way, I need to apologize. I'm just getting over laryngitis. Not, not a problem. I'm operating with half of my voice uh, cut off here. But uh, the, the very first question we addressed in the book was one of the top two on the survey, and that is, how do you know God exists? You can't see him, feel him, hear him. You know, he's not a physical being, and yet you're kind of staking your life and eternity on belief in him. Why do you do that? 
And, you know, I think as Christians, again, a lot of us grew up knowing God, believing in God, experiencing God, worshiping God. It's just a normal part of what we believe and know to be true. And yet, when someone says it like that, it's very intimidating. And like, well, I don't know how to prove it to someone else. And so I addressed that one very first. That's chapter one in the book, which, by the way, I, I can give a website later where people can read that first chapter for free. Why don't you do that right now, Mark? Okay, it's it's thequestionswithanswers.com. Thequestionswithanswers.com. Right, and we've got uh, Lee Strobel did the foreword, that's there, and then the introduction, and then this first chapter, which is, you know, how do you know God exists? You can't see, feel, hear, or touch Him. Let's, let's address that question. How do we know that God exists? If you can't reach out and physically touch Him, and you're talking with someone who says, look, you know, God gets the blame for a lot of stuff. I just don't know that there's any evidence that God actually exists. Yeah. Well, it's a great question. And the first thing I say is don't ignore or discount your experience. Um, as a Christian, I grew up being taught this uh, as I grew up. But God is very real to me. And uh, I think anyone who's really walking with Jesus is able to t- talk about you know, ways he is real to them, ways he has led them, protected them, redirected them. Even even when he convicts us of being in the wrong or of sin, that is God's activity in our lives. So first thing I say is talk about that openly and boldly because it's real. But if you just stop there, the average non-Christian is going to go, okay, well, that's experience, but I, you know, I need evidence. Well, I give two scientific arguments, and then one that's more, maybe a little more philosophical. But uh, the first thing I talk about in the chapter is the existence of the universe. And I'm telling you, this has always been a good argument, but in the last 20, 30 years, science has reinforced this one in a huge way. And the basic argument is this. First of all, whatever begins to exist has a cause. In other words, things don't pop into existence on their own. So whatever has a beginning has a cause. Second part of the argument says the universe had a beginning. And the beauty of this, again, is virtually every scientist now believes in some version of the Big Bang theory, that it, you know, at a point, you know, a finite point in time, there was a huge explosion at which everything that we call the universe came out of an infinitesimal point. And scientists believe this. And, and I do, too, and I think Genesis 1-1 describes it. But they, they think it's a natural event. I just say it's a, a scientific description of a miracle. And so the universe did have a beginning, but then the third part of the argument is whatever had a beginning has a cause, the universe had a beginning. Therefore, the universe had to have a cause outside of it, a cause that is great enough to produce it, smart enough to produce it, powerful enough to produce it, old enough to be there to produce it, and artistic enough to make it as wonderful as it is. Well, I'm telling you, that's the God of the Bible. And that's, you know, science and philosophy point to this, you know, powerful reality that there is a God that is beyond all of this, who created it. One of the other frequent questions that come up is dealing with the issue of the Bible. Of course, typically as Christians, we rely on the scripture as the source of which we use for good solid apologetics as well we should 
to the person who says, but wait a minute, the Bible was written by men. It's wrought with all kinds of contradictions and errors and mistakes. How or why should we trust the Bible? Again, a question that is very intimidating to a lot of Christians right up front, because they've always accepted it. And they're often tempted to just say, well, it says right here in Second Timothy that the Bible is inspired, it's the Word of God, it's you know, profitable for correction and teaching, etc., etc. And I agree with that. I agree with that verse, but that's not how you're going to prove it to your non-Christian friends. They're going to say, that's just circular reasoning. You're just using the book I'm questioning to try to prove it. You can't do that. So what? What first thing I like to do, Craig, is when someone says, you know, it's so full of contradictions, you can't trust it. I just like to look at them and say, you know, contradictions bother me too, but I'm just curious, what are your top two or three? And I'm telling you, it's usually as silent as what we just experienced. Because most people kind of parrot a cliche that they've heard, and that is that the Bible's full of contradictions, and they haven't even looked into it, they haven't read it for themselves, they have no idea. And you ask them what are their top two or three contradictions that bother them the most, they don't even have anything to say. And when that happens, which is the majority of the time, I'd like to then say, well, listen, before you start criticizing and writing off the book that has changed the lives of millions or really billions of people, you owe it to yourself to read it for yourself and look at it because you're going to find out it is true and it speaks to your heart, it speaks to your deepest needs. But now some people will say, well, you know, there's contradictions there. Uh, you know, some of the Gospels say that there was an angel at the tomb. And then other Gospels say there were two angels at the tomb. And so you can't have, you know, it's either one or two. That's a contradiction. I can't trust a book that, you know, where the guys can't even count angels. When we run into those kind, of, and by the way, that's the nature of most of what people call contradictions. And what I point out there, and I, this is what I talk about in the chapter, in the questions Christians hope no one will ask, I explain that the nature of eyewitness testimony is that it's always incomplete. Uh, I live in Colorado. I'm looking out my window. I can very honestly say there is a pine tree out there. But, Craig, if you were sitting there, you may look out and say, what do you mean there's a pine tree? There's about a 1,000 pine trees out there. Well, we're both right. See, I didn't say there's only one pine tree. I just mentioned one of the pine trees I'm looking at. And so I gave less than full detail. You said there was a 1,000, and you're right, too. But in reality, there's a lot more than a 1,000 because I live in the middle of the woods. So those are just incomplete levels of information. And so going back to the Bible, one gospel writer mentions an angel. He didn't say there's only one. He just mentioned that there was an angel. Then one of the other writers mentions how many there were. He says there were two. And as one person says, you know, here's a mathematical formula that's helpful. Wherever there's two, there's also one. <laughs> Isn't that good? That's, that's a good perspective. And, you know, the, the other issue here that I think can, can give us all a sense of a sigh of relief, initially you think in a topic like this that it means that we have to get into to deep concentration and study and pull out the thesaurus and the concordances and spend hours on the Internet doing research so that we can memorize all these details and data. But as you heard in those two exemplary uh, questions and answers, that it's really fairly basic. It's not that hard or involved if you know where to look and what to share. 
a look at the questions Christians hope no one will ask with answers. And as Mark mentions, if you'd like to read the first chapter online, you can do so for free. Go to thequestionswithanswers.com. That's thequestionswithanswers.com. And Mark Middleberg, thanks so much for the time. It's a great book and one that's an easy read and yet I believe a very important read for all Christians who want to not just deepen your own understanding and knowledge of the Scripture, but also how to better improve your ability at sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Media Group, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.